0: What is this? Like, this is a new show, you tell me? What, a remix of HashiCast? Is, is that what we're doing? Yo, Adil,
1: tell me, what,
0: what, what are we calling this fire?
1: Ah, uh, we call it Keeping It Secure. Keeping It
0: Secure. Welcome to Keeping It Secure, the HashiCast show about security trends, cloud adoption challenges, and security innovation. Join your host, DevOps Rob and DevOps Adil, as we tackle the complexities of cloud security and industry-wide challenges. So welcome. Uh, this is a new podcast series that Adil and I are launching. Um, so I am your co-host, DevOps Rob. I'm also joined by my co-host, DevOps Adil.
1: Say hello to the people, Adil. Hello, people. I, um, all I've got to say is, obviously, this is new to me. Uh, Rob obviously an expert at this. Uh, and uh, if anything, I'm the assistant. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm Robin. I'm Robin's Batman.
0: <laughs> nah, 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 nah. We're both sidekicks in that case, man, you know. We're only as strong <laughs> as our strongest links. <laughs> definitely man no welcome so just to give some context behind this uh, keeping it secure is a new podcast show that um, Adil and I decided to start up as part of HashiCast Um, if anyone has caught the last couple of episodes of HashiCast it's been myself and Adil and we've been having a great time talking about all things security compliance cloud operating model governance all kinds of things day one challenges day two challenges and True for the situation is, we can't leave the conversation there. But ultimately, you know, we, we just feel like we just need to carry on having these conversations, and we figured that it needs its own podcast, right? Speaking of which, speaking of which, uh, Adil and I, we're gonna try and keep this authentic, yeah, as one South Londoner to another East Londoner, right? Gonna try and keep this authentic. <laughs> so we tried to not pre-plan things. Literally, we spoken about 10 minutes ago in Slack. And I was like, hey, what do you want to talk about today? And Adil has come up with some stuff, right? So we haven't discussed it. I don't know what Adil's point of view on certain things is. So I'm going to throw it over to Adil. He's going to introduce some themes. And we're going to chop this up. That's what we're going to do, man. We're going to chop it up, man. So the debut co-host
1: are you ready no pressure no pressure <laughs> yeah well yeah okay i'll try my best uh, yeah so obviously as, as rob said right this morning um it's funny actually it's, it's a coincidence because this morning uh i was talking to, to an ex-colleague of mine uh, a friend of mine and uh, he's working uh, very closely with terraform cloud uh soon to be kind of the uh, partners with our uh, HashiCorp platform and um some of the questions he's been getting from his customers around telephone cloud was about the uh, the the state uh and the and the data, where is that located uh for for TFC? Um and uh obviously sounded like this is a concern for them. So um and uh, this is in addition to the the data being encrypted uh, and how, how it is secured. So I obviously I've given him some links and documents around uh how we present the uh, and how we secure the data for, for Terraform Cloud. Um, but one, one more thing I asked him to do was, actually, why don't you go ahead and ask your customer uh, and challenge them? I said, why do they feel the need to understand the data locality piece? Um, and this is from my, you know, my, my experiences and also my understanding uh, of data or the, the, the relevance of data locality. Now, as far as I understand, and again, this is, you know, coming back to the, the last time I've spoken, right, this is an invitation to uh, everyone, uh, you know, who would like to enlighten us here. And maybe, Rob, and maybe you can answer this as well. But is that as far as I understand, data locality is relevant to PII data. So where there's personal identifiable information, therefore, that in itself is what's it is what is regulated and if anything it's from that that being the essence or the driver of most of the security that we have or the regulated security at least from the governance perspective we have obviously the business security you can security, not only PIR data but also kind of sensitive business competitive data but when it comes to regulations and governance and this is where you know your PCI uh regulate uh, your, your kind of pci uh, compliance or HIPAA compliance these are all related to that personal identifiable information and that's why data locality is relevance is there so coming back to now okay the relevance uh, we know that pii pii is something that is regulated we also know that data locality would be of concern regarding PIR data how does that the question is i found and in my experience i found that, that security professionals are kind of asking this question regardless of what the data is so to come back to say Teleform Cloud and this is at face value I don't know exactly what the customer is storing but as far as I'm concerned Teleform Cloud holds infrastructure state and information of the infrastructure I don't expect a name of the VM to be related to a customer's name or a person's name right therefore automatically that becomes PII or, or something. Or I don't expect that a, a credit card number to kind of pop up on Terraform State. In what form? Is that a password or is that a, a, a username? It, it wouldn't be, it shouldn't be, right? So is, it? we obviously coming back to that kind of challenging that status quo, right? Is asking and understanding why is it that we, and again, from my experience that I feel that there seems to be this blanket policy where we need to look at data locality uh, regardless of the data. And uh, um, I feel like this is really what's the part that we... Uh, there's, there's, there's challenges, clearly. I think, like, why is it that we're, we're having this blanket policy? Why is it that we're not focusing on... Actually, the PIR data, as, as long as it's not PIR data, we're good. But if there is PIR data, then yes, we need to have data locality concerned around that. Uh, and I want to talk about that. I mean... What are your initial thoughts of that?
0: So I reckon um, that there's two schools of thoughts here, right? Um, so the first, of which obviously you mentioned, right, which is um, regulations, right, data sovereignty laws and all that kind of stuff there. Now, it shouldn't apply to your Terraform state because, like you said, it's supposed to hold information about your infrastructure, right? Um if you do have kind of PII inside your state file, then this show is all about our opinions, right? I think you're doing something very, very wrong in my opinion, right? Uh, I'm just saying, right? If, if that's what you're doing and uh, you don't agree with what I'm saying, come on the show, let's have a chat because I'd really like to understand the motivations for doing that, right? And I'm even trying to like think of a use case, right? So like, let's just say you're using Terraform to provision encryption keys in vault or something like that and maybe you've got a key per customer or something like that still like you don't have to have it using PII to identify that you know Uh, it's there's so many different ways of doing that um so that leads me to the next thing if you're not doing it for regulatory reasons then you must be doing it because your business has a certain posture right Now, this becomes a little bit more understandable. Um, And I say a little bit. So chatting to um, a buddy of mine uh, not too long ago, they mentioned the Patriots Act in the US, which some companies based in other countries may have an issue with that. So I'm, I'm led to believe that your state files when you're using Terraform Cloud are stored in the US. right? So, you know, your business may have a posture that We don't have data stored in certain regions for whatever reason it is. Um, and because of that, even though there's nothing really sensitive inside there, you know, um, we, we, we are not comfortable using Terraform cloud because of that, you know, and if that's, that's your business posture, like, you know, I totally get it. There are so many different things, um, that go into creating these positions. However, what you've now done is created a blanket policy, right? Um and i think we should talk about it a little bit like our blanket policies especially when it comes to controls and security and uh governance are they um useful to us um as as architects as engineers um as security professionals or are they a hindrance that hold us back from really you know evolving and pushing the the kind of uh the limits for how, how far we can secure ourselves but also enabling us to move as uh, quickly and as, as efficiently as possible um, you know I think in, in our slap message earlier on I think you mentioned the word uh, blanket policy right so let me just kind of throw that back to you and see what your thoughts are on that
1: yeah I mean so I think security professionals in the past and present thus far who are applying these blanket policy I think the, the, the thought process around that is that uh, okay, um, it's going to be difficult to find out uh, which piece of data is uh, sensitive, or let's just say PII data, or which piece of data data is actually, it's okay to have this out in the public, therefore we'll just play it safe. And and I think that's the thought process around the, the blanket policy, is that, that we're, we're going to play it safe uh, and apply the... Uh, the hardest control or the highest control uh, even to the kind of uh, uh, lowest, uh, so that's your lowest common denominator here and and, uh, assuming that every data uh, has some sensitive data which requires these controls Um, and this could be uh, and this is probably true as in like you may have to play it safe in, in legacy environments where the the data wasn't treated uh or rather there was no discrimination with data. So the the sensitive data and and what's considered sensitive was considered public maybe in a, in a single place or it may be processed together. Um or um obviously with with legacy technology, uh, you couldn't exactly, for example, hide those specific say Uh, names or credit card numbers, like you can today with, say, Vault Transformation uh, 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 engine, right, Uh, where you can uh, identify and actually just hide that specific text uh, within that, say, text file. Um, So technology has always, I suppose, technology in the past has been the hindrance. But I think one of the things, one of the challenges I've found is that we've not reviewed our processes. I said, okay now that we've upgraded that technology now that actually we have the capabilities to be able to do make the distinction we have the capability to be able to separate the data clean the data or even you know be able to transform some of the data on the fly based on that uh, and we you know w- with the uh, the advent of ai w- w- where we should we should be able to have the ability to be able to uh, identify so data classification here right identify data quite easily i mean the 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 concept of data classification is not new but the implementation has been a challenge and in my experience in my last role that was definitely a challenge where um although we would we even had kind of like in in gcp we would use labels gcp labels to be able to uh kind of add those labels to say okay this vm or this uh, uh this uh set of infrastructure will be handling say sensitive then it would ha- it would have data equals sensitive or data equals public etc etc but again that comes back to one of the things i said in previous uh, uh, uh episodes is that that was through attestation we relied on uh the developers or the or the data owner and data handler data processor to attestate you know what kind of uh, uh, what kind of data this is and based on that um we would obviously so so there is this element of trust, and based on that trust, we would then apply the, the uh, certain controls. Obviously, so there's two flaws with that, right? E a is that is that trust piece, right? Uh, um, and then how do you prevent, say, a rogue actor from uh saying that actually that is public, but actually mm-hmm. in, in reality it was uh, uh sensitive. B by having a human element, do, do you've added the friction in the flow. There's no streamlining of that flow now. So those obviously the two challenges here is the the security challenge and and then the operational challenge. So coming back to that blanket policy again, um, as you can see, there are understandable challenges that has forced security professionals uh, to apply that. Where I have frustration is that do we even formally or even informally have say a regular cadence of reviewing a process to say, okay, is the technology today, good enough for us to now actually allow our process to review and say we no longer think it's ready, we no longer think we need to do blanket policy.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, well, you said so much there, I, I'm, I'm wondering where to kind of start with that. So the first thing is, um, so you mentioned the uh, kind of data classification. Um, so I think, like you say, it's, it's, it's not a new concept, but the, the real challenge here is how do you classify? your data, right? What is confidential to you, you know? Um, and, you know, the, the, the problem is what, what, what I see happening in the industry in general is they see a successful technology company and they ask questions. They say, oh, well, what are you doing here? How are you doing this? And how are you doing that? And then what a lot of organizations do is they take a lift and shift, lift and shift approach of ideas and concepts and try to implement it in their organization. And in my opinion, that's fundamentally the wrong thing to do. Uh, Number one example of this, which is a little bit off topic, is this whole Spotify model, right? Um, You have people implementing things like that, assuming that they're going to be operating at the same type of scale. Whereas, in fact, you have different challenges. Like, you have totally different challenges, right? So it's not to say that we shouldn't look at what other organizations are doing and try to take inspiration and learning from it but you know sometimes when I hear these great success stories as much as I'm happy for for that organization I sit there thinking and that's the exact reason why it's not going to work for my organization we have different problems to solve right Um, so I think it kind of comes back to that and I don't think there's a standard way of classifying your data I don't think there can be a standard way of classifying your data, because like we say that there are different concerns, uh, for kind of the business. Right. Um, and in terms of, um, some of, some of the data and where it's stored, um, this kind of came up, uh, yesterday I I was working on, on some code and, you know, I, I build demos (laughs) as part of my role and sometimes to build a demo, what, what makes your life easy is to have uh, passwords and tokens and ACL tokens to be predictable, right? It's not production best practices. It's just something to make my life easier, just to build a proof of concept demo to demonstrate something which is not the security aspects of things, right? So I realized, I was like, okay, if I want to create a predictable Vault token using the Terraform uh provider, you cannot do that, right? So I was like, okay, but you can do it the command line same thing with uh, a console acl token if you want to create a console acl token with the terraform provider for console you cannot do this right so i'm like okay cool don't know if this is deliberate or not so i checked out the code i was about to write this this capability into the code base and then something said to me head over to github and see if anyone else has thought about this And I found there was an issue, well, it was actually a PR open where someone had just done the exact thing that I was going to do, the exact thing, right? And there was a thread on there. And the thinking was, you know, they want to be able to have pre-generated ACR tokens, right? Um, And it's helpful for development practices, it's helpful for proof of concepts and, and demos and all that kind of stuff there. The use case for this is to not use it in production, right? Um, So the kind of view, I guess the HashiCorp view is that um, the fact that these things are written into state file is the reason why they didn't want to implement something like that, right? So I guess my question here is, if your state file is encrypted, what is the risk of storing things like that? inside a state file i mean technically speaking right with (laughs) this is why the argument to me didn't really make sense right Uh, because if you don't pre-generate the token and you were to use the resource to generate a token is that not written into a state file anyway so the difference between a pre-generated one where you know the value and one that you don't know the value is just the fact that you know it it's still the same thing it's still in a state file correct um so you know, I, I'm quite happy to tweet the link to this this PR. If if anyone has any thoughts on it, um, please do leave a comment on it. Because personally, um, personal opinion, I'm totally in favor of adding this capability to the console Terraform provider. And I would go as far as to adding it into the Vault and Nomad providers as well. Um, I think in terms of how you use a feature like this, it's down to you to be responsible, right? Don't go using it in production. If you go and use that in production, then... <laughs> you might find yourself down at a job center pretty soon. Like we don't want that. Um, but at the same time, if you're trying to build a demo and it just makes life easier to have something predictable, just to kind of demonstrate something that's not the security aspect of it, then why not? Um, so, so what do you think about that? What is the real risk of, of that being in the state file? If you followed state file management, best practices. Well,
1: that's the thing I was going to ask. I was asked a the question here, right? Is that, okay. Um, so so, what if the state file is encrypted? Right? As in, like, we have to understand, right? Let's come back to Terraform Cloud, right? And for those who don't know, see, Terraform Cloud, yes, the state file is encrypted. This is encrypted by an internal vault, right? But that doesn't... It, it reminds me of a, a conversation that um, I had with a security professional in my last role where they insisted on having um, Google's GCS bucket uh, with um, uh, KMS encryption, and uh, when I asked, uh, what's the reason? I mean, if if the if the, what's the goal here? If the goal here is to ensure that the data is encrypted at rest, then that goal is already achieved with uh, Google's uh, native uh, Gmail, what they call Google's managed encryption key. Um, so he said, "No, the goal here is to ensure that no, you know, rogue actors don't have access, say, by accident, with the IAM access." And I said, "Well, that's that's not true." I said that with the um the, the KMS encryption, which is kind of like customer managed encryption key. Essentially, you're still using Google Cloud's KMS. Um, all all you've done is uh um is allowed for the Google's internal service account to manage the uh, bucket data with that KMS key. It, uh, so from an IAM perspective, as in from an access control perspective, there's still only one access control, right? Now, why I'm saying this, uh, because we'll come back to TFC now, right? Is that Vault Transit or in the internal Vault for TFC uses Vault Transit Engine, right? There's only one uh, entity, and that's the app role ID that TFC uses to encrypt uh, the, using the same token to encrypt all of the state. So at uh, which point, you know, from a user, if I was a TFC user and you're a TFC user, we both still have access uh, to that state file that has the secret in it, right? So now, so the encryption piece is a separate concern here. As think that if we're now, if we want to achieve, for example, access control uh, and okay, right. The best form of secret is having no secrets fire enough. fine, I get that. But let's come to the point where, okay, we are in a situation where there is a secret in-state. Okay, so what's the risk here? Like you said, what is the risk here? Now, if the risk here is actually, I don't want other uh, other, uh, non concerned users. So we're talking about kind of segregation duty and uh, and a principle of least privileged access. So with recent releases in, in, in Terraform Cloud, we can now access control of which workspaces have access to other workspaces, right? So it comes back, that's, that's there. Now come back to, let's just say there was somehow, you know, we did get access broken uh, and then this token uh, was revealed to be in state and then that token was used, right? So there is an impact, there's a risk. Now, um, the business impact may be different. You know, obviously the business impact would be severe in prod uh, uh, than it would be in dev but uh, technological impact is the same. So why the concern? I mean, okay, so if I was to put my kind of security hat on, right, it's more of a nice to have, as in like, I prefer to not have some secret information in state, but you made a very valid point there, is that if the dynamically generated token is already in state, then what difference does it make? The only thing I would say, and I don't know this actually, I, so I don't know if this is to be true, but obviously with dynamic there is a lifetime that's attached to it and if the lifetime is short then you've re- with anything right there is there's no such thing as zero risk there's always a risk but it's down to it's about reducing that risk and how how much you know by by how much so a uh, a dynamic token with a short lifetime ha- is less of a risk than a static token that has an infinite lifetime um so if that dynamic token is in state, and actually, somehow there was some rogue access to the state. Um, and, and they found this token by which point it's been expired, it's expired, therefore, it means nothing. So, that's kind of if I was to kind of put my security on the other side, if I was to kind of try and defend that, that would be my defense, really. Is that you know, I would prefer to have that dynamic token over, say, static token.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. But it also makes me think that especially with the new kind of RBAC kind of functionality, we now need to um we need to design our, our work workspace structures with a bit more um pre thought, right? Um we need to um I've actually got a book right here, um which, you know, most software engineers are familiar with this this is the domain driven design book by eric evans um it's the de facto standard in domain driven design for software architecture um now there are some principles that are discussed inside this book which you can use with uh you know separating your infrastructure into different uh kind of workspaces and i think even in this book like some of the concepts about modeling um I, I feel like we we should definitely think more security conscious when we when we model these things here we need to think what well, what type of data is in this object um you know what's uh, the kind of classification of this data what would it be um you know, uh, who would need access to this data? How are we going to even govern the access to these kind of things there? If you take this mindset uh, and you apply it to uh, provision and infrastructure, I think your job becomes a little bit easier in that sense, right? And then we're talking about lowering risks. Um I'll actually um, see if I can post a link to this book in the uh, podcast notes. Uh, I'm not sure if I can, no promises, but if anything, I will tweet this out when this episode goes out. But it's it's this is the kind of thing that I think we need to start thinking about. When we talk about shifting security left, um, it's not a case of moving that checkbox exercise to the left. It's about really changing your thinking, right? It's about involving experts in the area earlier on in the process, right? And keeping them involved throughout, throughout its entirety. And when you're at the point where you're designing the layout of your infrastructure, just like the the point of designing your application architecture. These are the points where, you know, there are going to be things that as non-security professionals, you're not going to realize could be a risk. Uh, These are the things that you want to kind of identify, check that it's not an assumption. Uh, If it is an assumption, then, you know, obviously to some degree that can be disregarded, but if it's actually a, a founded risk, well, then your model can kind of reflect that. So that before you even go into actually really designing the the architecture, you already know how you're going to mitigate these risks right you can already start thinking about controls but how can you think about controls if you do not understand the problem up front right um, and I think there's a lot there's a lot we can learn from software architecture um, when it comes to uh, infrastructure development um, so yeah going back to that, I think the fact that in terraform with these providers so we're talking the vault provider we're talking the console provider and we're talking the nomad provider they all have resources that allow you to create a token so it's acl tokens for console and nomad and it's a vault token uh for a vault right the moment you have that resource there and people are using that resource for me that that the risk is like it's a different conversation now It's, it's in the state file right um it's all about how you use your RBAC. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of just, it's something that came up. I, I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to put the link in the uh, in the podcast notes, hopefully. Uh, so if you have an opinion on that, please do. Um, I'm actually thinking about opening up a similar PR for the Vault provider. Because I personally believe that, you know, as, as long as we have these resources, then it doesn't matter whether it's pre-generated or not. Um,
1: it's, it's in the state file regardless. Let me ask you a question though, right? Okay, so Terraform is a declarative state, right? It's declarative, so ideally what's in state is your actual state versus your configuration, Terraform code, which is going to be your desired state, right? Um, Now, with the actual state, there's going to be some information uh, or a lot of information that's going to be required to be able to figure out uh, what's going on there. So credentials pertaining to uh, Terraform itself needing access to say a said platform or these kind of UUIDs or machine IDs that's required. Now, now I just remember basically in in Vault Terraform provider there is a um the GCP secrets mount where it is required for you to uh um input as an input uh, put the the credentials that Vault would use to authenticate to GCP. Now, if you look at that right, it says that um. And I've been playing around with this myself, right? Is that it doesn't hold the credential in state, it doesn't record it in state. So uh, and, and it makes sense, right? As in like so obviously you've instructed Vault with, with that telephone code, it's an API call to Vault to say, hey, your D's the credentials, go ahead and authenticate it with Google. Now it's in Vault's own. Uh, configuration it, within its own kind of uh, the, the barrier engine that we talked about, right? It within that, that's stored and that's encrypted. That's something that no, no, no one has access to, right? Um. So, uh, and that's fine. So my question here is, right, is it necessary? And I don't know obviously your use case here with regards to say the console ACL token being generated or, or, or your creating itself, but is it necessary where actually, yes, through code i i desire through terraform code to be able to call console api or vault api and instruct it to do whatever it needs to do however i don't require that token to be held in state you know, i don't know if that's applicable to you it was a, it, it made sense for that google piece because really it doesn't you didn't need it doesn't need to track the changing of the credential especially given that there is an, a separate api call afterwards where you can do a, ro- a rotate credential so you can rotate that credential uh, you know, should you wish to, because there is a, there's been a passing of where obviously for me to add in that credential into, into the code, I would have had visibility or access to it. In order to remove that access from me, there will be a further API call to rotate that. And then at that point, Vault in itself rotates that credential and gets itself a new credential. And that rotation, again, happens within the Vault's uh, uh, um, barrier and you know, Terraform call is none the wiser. So it makes sense for Terraform not to hold that in state because obviously upon that rotation, there's gonna be um, uh, 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 a whole configuration drift, uh, obviously not, not just. and so I feel that that's like the best of both worlds in that sense. Now, it, it, I accept that this, this not, may not necessarily be applicable to every place because it may be that actually, Terraform does need that token to be able to then actually run the call somewhere so I, I i don't know is that something you thought about
0: well i think it's it's different right so you have um so what what the example that you gave is the configuration uh kind of credential right so in order for for vault to be able to uh, generate dynamic credentials it first needs uh to authenticate with the target platform so your example was gcp right so that makes perfect sense for for vault to not sorry for terraform to not hold that in state is that vault is taking care of that but now what you're doing is you're you've authenticated to vault right and what you're asking uh, vault to do is to create a vault token right so should that be held in state it's arguable um arguably not arguably not but then now you have this this kind of uh, this is why I think tokens in in terraform is 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 a funny kind of uh, topic of conversation because how do you manage the life cycle of that token, especially as the tokens generally speaking are kind of short-lived as well, right? Um, yeah you know when does it know to create a a new token? How does it know it's expired? I'm not really sure the mechanics of this because it's not really something I play around with a lot. It's just that and I've now gotten to the point where I'm building more complex demos. And it would be nice to have a uh, predictable vault token or a predictable console ACL token, same with Nomad, um, that I can feed into another piece of infrastructure, you know. And I'm not showing the world to say, this is how you should set stuff up from a security perspective. I'm more showing you, check out this feature of this of this product. It enables this type of workflow, right? Um, so that's kind of the, the use case here. And I kind of gather from the PR that they had a similar kind of use case where they're doing a lot of internal uh, advocacy and they kind of want to demonstrate some stuff. Um, but then it goes back to my tweet yesterday, right, that um, <laughs> not everything is a good candidate for automation. That's that's what I tweeted out yesterday and there was a bit of discussion on Twitter um, about that. So maybe creating vault tokens or console or nomad ACL tokens is not a good candidate for this, even in a demo well, environment. Uh,
1: I, I, I don't know. I, I disagree. I think, so Look, what it is, I, I, I hear your point, and I think the, it comes back to secret zero, again, you know what we talked about last episode, and if anything, that it's that secret zero should be the only manual secret, or the only secret that there's human intervention required, right? Uh, thereafter, it should be dynamic. Now, come back to your use case, where actually, look, you know, as per, part of a demo, or as part of building this out, right, I need to be able to uh, you know, that may, maybe the first console token uh, and it, the need to generate that. I just remembered, right, there was obviously there's more features that are coming out in Terraform. For example, now you can uh, label um, uh, outputs as well as variables to be sensitive. So even once they're sensitive you and you had access to the state, uh, quote me from, uh, um, let me know if I'm wrong there, but I'm pretty sure the case is that you can't read it. So even if you had access to no, the you state... Can. Oh, you can. Oh, okay, oh, I tested that yesterday.
0: So all you, all you would do is, um, so what happens is that the way the way the way it works is you type Terraform outputs, for example, and that lists all the outputs, and then you will see all the values of the outputs except the sensitive ones. And it will so it's say, only for that function. So it's only to mask the output. Then is that what you're saying? Right. But if you if you type in Terraform outputs and then the name of the output, it prints out the sensitive value. So I did this wow. with my TLS module, um, and you know I. <laughs> This is where I I, I semi-understand the risk, right? But this is all about, this is why I talked about the domain-driven design kind of modeling approach. If your RBAC is set up so that only authorized uh, personnel can access that state file, you are lowering your risk. You do not remove it because, you know, you still have the
1: internal uh, threat. Um, But yeah, no, that's how it works. But that's a good point. I mean, what you just mentioned I, th- I think, it, 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 you know—it comes back to the basics here. Yeah? Let's co- let's let's question. You know what it is? It, it's the fact that it's a token. It's a credential. You know, automatically it kind of raises your, it kind of uh, heightens the, the risk profile or the for 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 no reason, if anything, right? For no reason. But you know, come back to whether it's a secret or whether it's, uh, uh, like you said, principle, the principle of least privileged access end of the day right it's just because it's a secret doesn't mean that no one can uh, has is allowed to read it or see it right there what we're saying is actually is that regardless of what that data is uh, and this is where actually if we look at principle of least privileged access that marries up really well with the whole classification piece in the in the end it's all about is that depending on what the data is certain people or certain level of people has access to it that's what it is right uh and let's let's take that whole credential the concept of credential out of it and let's just think okay you know have i got my principle of least privilege access set up properly as in like those who are who are allowed to see it are they the only ones who are allowed to see it you know and at that point regardless of whether it's credential or not that in itself should be the underlying principle or the overarching rather you know i, I both are kind of above or under but you know the overarching principle that would then drive uh these other uh peripherals let's just say peripheral moves or, or peripheral actions about whether it's data classification or or you know uh the encryption at state all of that stuff all of this is driven by the principle of least previous access so i think it's not so bad in that sense that you know I, i'm with you now here right in the sense that okay you know there is this generally you know we feel uncomfortable having a secret in state uh and I, I think it's this this question that notion is okay well you know whether it's a secret or not i, I think that's not really the relevance here the relevance here is rather do we have a good story around the principle of these privileged access if we do what's the problem i, I i'm with you now i
0: think um well, i'm glad i can nurse sell my ideas to you i like that <laughs> so i i've got like a uh, like a little i don't know if analogy is the right word right but I, i've got this friend um friend called charles shout out charles and charles once told me a story about um investing right so the the point of this story is it's about mindset right he wanted to buy some stocks i think it was fitbit or something like that this is before they got taken over by google right um he wanted to buy some stocks and he was deliberating over this for days on days and days, right? But in that time, he'd gone over to Amazon and spent hundreds of pounds. Meanwhile, the stock he was trying to buy was just like a tenner or something like that, right? But it's about mindset, right? Both actions are consumer actions. You're still buying something, right? You're buying things from Amazon, you're buying stocks, right? But this mindset, uh, that that he had made him scrutinize the investment of a tenor, you know, yeah okay, on stock, think. right? Do you know what I mean? Mm. So yeah, and from that story, and he he was telling me the story and we kind of laughed about it and we were like, yeah, actually it's the consumer mindset, right? But maybe when it comes to our our security and our infrastructure, maybe we have a similar mindset, right? If it's um if it's certain things inside the state file, you know, straight away we don't really um concern ourselves too much with it right but the moment it's marked as sensitive or you feel like maybe we should mark this as sensitive then there's a totally different mindset was actually anything inside there can be viewed by anyone who has access to that workspace right um what I would actually like to see is some more granular controls um being put in so you know I'm I'm just thinking out aloud here Uh, I don't know whether it's a good idea or not but if you can kind of tag certain bits of information and you could bring your own identity provider and you could, you know, have a whole kind of IAM piece around reading of certain things that, that would be something that would add more complexity, but you know, at the same time, it, it, it gets as complex as you need it to be, right? It's, it's down to your implementation.
1: And, and look, it comes back and that comes back to identity, right? Is that like at the end of the day it, credentials, all of that is tied to identity and let's and it comes back to our previous where we talked about or where you know where we ended it with identity is that if we had that if we have that story solid you know and then that the the attestation is um not done by a human it's done by machine uh you know multi-platform platform agnostic and we have some really good kind of identity story out there right um it, it renders the need uh uh, it renders the need for having credentials redundant in my opinion uh you know because the credential is essentially at this point an attestation of an identity but if you've got that story you know identity of human or identity of a machine uh again platform agnostic but then it it really kind of removes that whole concern altogether i mean the, again, that's really, I, I think, that is the essence of it. And, and let's go back to the back piece, actually. You know, I want to just talk to you about something else. And again, I'm going to give you an example here, right? Um, See, so was this example where there was a post mortem that took place. A uh, postmortem basically, was, or the incident rather, was where uh, a user managed to get access to a Google service account key. And um, they haven't been able to do much, as in by, before they could do much, uh, it was picked up on a monitoring alert, alert system and it was blocked. Maybe they probably tried to peek on a few things with it. They, they successfully impersonated or had access to the Google account, but um, there was, you know, little impact. Anyway, so the, a postmortem took place, at, um, kind of obviously a whole troubleshooting discovery to understand how they got access. And it turns out that um, it was found in a terraformed state. Um. Uh. In a telephone cloud, in in a, in a state, and that service account key was there, and it was a long linked service account key. There's two ways that can go right. I think that there's two ways that this can be resolved, or rather, the what are the preventative measures from there on kind of thing, or lessons learned rather, right? One could be that oh. We should not have had services. We should not have had a, a sensitive credential in the state in the first place. Okay, let's try and add some preventive measures, ensuring no sensitive credentials are stored, or and and or, slash or those credentials are dynamic, so that you know they. think... It. But if you solely went on that, then you've you've missed the part where how did they manage to get access to that workspace in the first place? Right? Had they had you had a good story around that? You know then. This that piece wouldn't have ha- happened. Not to say that look, if there is a if there is a better story around managing credentials in the state, right? Uh, given that there, I mean, uh, providing that there aren't any operational complexity with it, I'm all for it. But let's not ignore this. Uh, how the the managed to get access to that workspace in the first place, uh, and maybe if we had a better story there, then that you know we we wouldn't really have put too much focus ar- around that but anyways that's that's secondary to i think what you're saying is in, in essence is obviously this uh this story uh around identity and today if anything and this is what comes back to again what we say last in, in last episode right as an industry or uh, uh or the the phase we're in right now uh, and the challenges that we have, I consider these to be day two challenges. And the challenges today we have having is that we don't really have a good story around it. And now we're really spending or investing a lot of time around security credentials or security in secret zero. I mean, Vault and, and others alike have come into the scene to provide that kind of dynamic secrets piece, right? Or dynamic access management piece, right? Really reducing the, the impact or containing that risk. Uh, but it hasn't really, obviously, uh, uh, put that to bed. If anything, as in that secret zero still exists, that the form of credentials still exists, right? And in essence, today, if those challenges that we were talking about, the challenges that you just you faced, or you were talking about yesterday with the PR, these are challenges that are born out of that missing piece and that missing link. One hundred percent, and I think it's um, it's one of those things that you know
0: we can keep trying to. Solve these problems, right? Um, and this is where my idea about using your service mesh as an identity provider kind of came out of, right? Um, but you know, I, I was I was uh, catching up with uh, Jeff Mitchell and Andy Minuski and you know some really really smart people that that work on uh, security stuff. And kind of the conclusion we came to just in this conversation was that before we can start looking at a service mesh as um, an identity provider we first need to solve the challenge of attestation. How do you attest to the identity of uh, an application, right? How do we make sure that it's not a rogue application, just wearing a mask saying, hey, I'm this service or whatever it is, right? Uh, we need to solve that problem first before we can even think about like introducing these things as identity providers, right? And I'll leave you with a quote that Jeff Mitchell uh, said to me. He said, sometimes we come up with ideas but maybe it's just a case of the industry isn't ready to move in the same direction as these ideas right Uh, and we need to kind of think about these things which is why you know this is part of the idea behind this this podcast here right is we want to we want to talk about these things that we want to kind of um throw ideas out there we want to challenge opinions we want to be challenged right um and it's only through that discussion, I think we're going to be able to find a way forward. And I don't believe that HashiCorp is going to be uh, able to to find solutions to these problems alone. I think it's going to take all of us because this isn't a HashiCorp problem. This is an industry problem. It doesn't matter what technology you're using. You know, you're using VMware, you're using GCP, Azure, AWS, you're using Kubernetes, you're using Nomad. You're using whatever it is you're using. I guarantee as you scale, as you mature, you're going to have these problems, right? As for what a solution look like, it's, you know, it's, it's dependent on the organization. A lot of organizations think that, uh, something is a good solution. So like, I think Spiffy is, um, yeah, is something that, yeah, so a lot of people are using that. Um, and that there's a, I think there's, I, I don't really understand Spiffy too much. So I'm not, looking to be quoted here, but I think there's another part of Spiffy that which uh, does some level of attestation and a lot of people seem to rely on that. Um, but I spoke to someone um, as part of my kind of investigation research about that and they kind of blew that out of the water. They were just like, listen, it's not as secure as people think and here's why and they broke it down, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, cool. Um, maybe it's not the solution and maybe people have the illusion of attestation uh, or maybe yeah. it really is attestation. But when you, when you hear the arguments I heard, right. Speaking from someone who used it uh, quite extensively for a while, um, that had me thinking, okay, cool. So um, I don't really think it was a solved problem anyway, but you know, has it moved us any closer to a solution? Even if it hasn't, yeah, maybe, secondarily it has because we now have learned some things right sometimes you have to do something and you have to fail and we now know what we don't know exactly is and which you know we're coming to the end but i'm gonna quote something that you said well not a direct quote but i'm gonna mention something you said uh in the last hashicast episode right when you talked about um i think it was a conversation around defense in depth right and about actually allowing um basically we're going through the the actual definition of defense in depth from a military standpoint right and the fact that if you allow attackers to get to a certain point you actually learn more about their attacks then you're better prepared to defend against it so i'm just kind of bringing that back because it's it's one of those concepts that it's scary scary i'll tell you to security professionals but let's talk about it man let's let's talk about it let's 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 try and identify why it's scary let's see if we can alleviate some concerns let's see if it's actually a way forward right uh, because we've got so many problems to solve and uh, until we have more information we're going to struggle to find a solution you know we're just going to struggle um, and like I say this is not a HashiCorp problem this is an industry problem this, this podcast yeah you know we're we're both HashiCorp employees but we're, we're trying to keep this vendor neutral yeah I know we're, I'm, we're both wearing our vendor t-shirts and you know i i get all that right um, but the point here is we want to talk about things which are industry uh, related rather than hashicorp related it just so happens that adil and i are hashicorp fans we we really like the 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 uh, technologies that hashicorp develops we really like the approach to solving problems you know i met adil before either of us worked um for hashicorp so you know Try to not think about this podcast as a vendor-specific podcast. Just this is just Rob and Adil, just just chopping things up, you know. And we we want to talk to people. Uh, we want to understand. We want to be understood as well. We want to move forward, and that's that's the aim of this thing here. So those are my closing words. I'm going to hand it over to my co-host
1: Adil with any last thoughts. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're spot on, uh, and this is the thing, right? It's coming back to even if we don't have answers to, and today, I don't think we, we, we may have even come to any conclusion or answers today, right? But the whole point of this podcast, as you said, right, is even if those questions sp- spawned further questions, then we're in a good spot because we've now gone from unknown, unknown, thinking that we know it all to now known unknowns. We know that we don't know. Right? And we're accepting that, you know, we're accepting we don't have the answer. And if that, if anything as rob said right is that what we'd like to encourage is more questions coming in from the public from the listeners uh you know reach out to us both of us uh, and and challenge us uh, if anything you know we'd love to get you on to the next podcast and so that we can spur this conversation maybe we're we're missing something uh, and we need to shed light on that that way we can give a balanced conversation you know looking forward to our next place.
0: 100 uh, percent and with that i want to say thank you so much for joining us this has been keeping it secure i'm devops rob and i'm devops the deal awesome thank you so much have a great day catch you on the next one you've been listening to keeping it secure with your host devops rob and devops a deal be sure to join us next time